Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to go with me to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. And before I read this, I did get this far <laughs> this morning. I talked about people who mistaken and believe that the only scriptural basis for the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues is Acts chapter 2 because that's, that's a text we take. And that's where it occurred. Uh, but the mistake they make, this mistaken, as I, mistaken idea is the result of a lack of understanding of the context of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The very idea of the outpouring of the Spirit started in the Old Testament. It didn't start in Acts chapter 2. And so you have to understand the context of it from the Old Testament, and you have to realize that the precedent... For the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament was set in the Old Testament. There, was t- there were types and shadows of it. And uh, if you see that, then what happens in the New Testament comes into this right context. You don't fall prey to these, uh, this idea that, that this was just an isolated event and it was for a little while and it passed away. No, no, we'll see We'll show tonight that that's not true. If you found Psalm 92, we'll read and start in verse number one. And said, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of 10 strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. God likes good harmony. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. Oh, Lord, how great are your works, and your thoughts are very deep. A a senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass and when the workers of iniquity flourish... It is, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn, my strength is what the, what the uh, margin says. You have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also, also, my eye also has seen my desire on my enemies, and my ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. He's just saying that God will set everything right. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree; he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. This is a wonderful praise of thanksgiving 
for all of the goodness of God. But I want to draw your attention to verse number 10. It says, I have been anointed with fresh oil. I have been anointed. Like I said this morning, the Hebrew words for anoint mean to paint, to smear, that is to spread, to pour over, or to overflow with, and implied a penetrating power. Think, if you would, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes directly from this uh, this imagery, this idea. In Bible times, particularly in the Old Testament, men were set apart or consecrated to the sacred offices of the prophet, priest, and king by the anointing with oil. I want us to, to turn real, uh, just for a moment, just sort of a, uh, something to look at. Turn over to the 103rd Psalm. It's a real, no, excuse me, the 133rd Psalm. It's a real short Psalm. It's only three verses long. But we're going to, I want us to read it and we're going to come back to it a little bit later. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now we know that Zion is a type of the church because we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to to Mount Zion. We're told in the book of Hebrews. And he says that the precious oil, the Holy Spirit comes like oil poured on the head. And we talked this morning about the fact that the Holy Spirit falls and and he's poured out. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, his, his coming is in power. Very, very powerful and very weighty. Other times... It says it's like the dew descending on the mountains of Zion. You know, the Bible says that, that uh, John the Baptist bore witness and he saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Jesus. Sometimes the move of the Spirit is very powerful. Sometimes it's very gentle. Sometimes it's like an outpouring. Sometimes it's like just a gentle descent. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We'll come back to this in a few minutes later. Throughout the Bible, oil is a type or symbol of the Holy Spirit. The anointing with oil symbolized, that is the actual physical act of anointing someone with oil, uh, is a symbol of the, 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 that oil is a type and a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The anointing with oil symbolized that the Holy Spirit would come upon men and women, to anoint them. That is to empower them. You shall receive power. Get the connection. The, The anointing with oil, the oil symbolized the Holy Spirit and the act of anointing someone with the Holy Spirit symbolized that the Holy Spirit would come upon them to anoint them or to empower them to stand in a particular office of ministry. 
Turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. Sometimes I make reference to these things and, and just, well, just assume everybody knows what I'm talking about, but it's good to read, it, read about it. In Exodus 30, it says in verse 22, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take also for yourself, for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels, shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweetening cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. I have no idea what a hen is. It's in the margin, but you can look it up. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all of its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron, that's the high priest, and his sons, and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured out on man's flesh, that means just anybody, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an, out, on, on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So this tells us that this oil, uh, when the Bible talks about the anointing oil, it's talking about the actual olive oil that we have described here with its various spices and components. <coughs> which was used to consecrate or set aside someone or something for a holy purpose. In other words, uh, the tabernacle and all of its furnishings were, were anointed with this oil to consecrate them, even though they were inanimate objects. They weren't people. They weren't alive. But it was a, it was a fact that they were consecrated for a holy purpose. And then, of course, it was poured out upon Aaron and his sons to consecrate them to anoint them and to empower them to stand in the office that they were called to. Uh, the, the, you know, the anointing oil was holy because it was a type of the Spirit of God. And after someone was anointed with oil, the Spirit of God would, would come upon them then to anoint them with the Spirit from that day forward to fulfill the office and to carry out God's plan for them on this, on this earth. Remember that in the Old Testament, people were not born again. Therefore, the Holy Spirit could not live inside them. He could only come upon them to anoint them, that is to empower them for his service. However, under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. 
That is, all believers. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul said, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, he is none of his. So every believer has the Holy Spirit living in him. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. Amen. So, so we have this distinction, this marvelous distinction in this, in this uh, covenant that we're in, that we have the Holy Spirit in us. What a blessing. Teacher, guide, comforter, helper in everything in life. But still, but still today, he also comes upon believers in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is the anointing coming upon us to empower us for service. And that's what people who, who don't understand, this is one of the fundamental reasons why they don't understand. They don't understand the context that everyone who was separated for a special purpose of God had to be equipped by the Spirit. Now, you would think ministering as a priest wouldn't be all that complicated. But they had to have the anointing. They had to be empowered. No one could minister in any of these offices, even if they were called to it. They could not be effective without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So that's the history. And God is still, it is still in his plan to not only save people and and have the Spirit come to live within them, but also to anoint believers for their own special service and primarily to be a witness for Christ, to be an effective witness for Christ. I don't care how smart you are, sharp you are, good-looking you are, or, or anything else, to be an effective witness for Christ requires the anointing that accompanies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to uh, 1 Samuel, and let's look at the anointing that came upon David. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We've said that the prophet, the priest, the king were all anointed. We're going to look at a few of these examples. So in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. It was the special oil that the Lord said that this this holy oil will be uh, 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 used throughout your generations. So it was still in effect. He said, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Without reading the whole story, you drop over to verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David was anointed to be king. Now, we know that Saul had already been anointed to be king, and I'm going to go look in that in a minute, and I know it's out of chronological sequence, but there's a reason why. God never intended for Israel to have a king. The reason the children of Israel 
wanted a king, is, and, they said, and, they, and they said so. They said, we want a king who will go out before us and win our battles. When people come against us and we're oppressed by other people, we want a king who will, who will take an army. In other words, he said, they're saying, we want a professional to do this. But the Lord had already always did this for them himself. When they were in obedience, when they were following the Lord and their enemies came against them, the Lord went out and smote the enemy. He sent the angel of the Lord out or he empowered the people. The Lord was their deliverer. The Lord was their king. God was their king. That's, he said, in, 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 if you go back and study out and run your references where this is talked about, it says that they, they committed a grievous sin, a very great sin. In turning away from depending on the Lord, they wanted some man to do it. He said, they said, we want to be like here. All these other people come against us. They have their kings. We want a king. God said, but I'm your king. Samuel went to the Lord about it. He was very upset. The Lord said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. He said, you go ahead and anoint them a king. And he did. But it wasn't God's plan. Go with me over to uh, 1 Kings. And let's look at the anointing upon Elijah or Elisha. 1 Kings. And let's look at chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. This is the instruction that God gave to Elijah. In verse 16, he said, You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Well, how do you think he did that? He did it with oil. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahoelah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Now, it doesn't really give a lot of information about it. it just, this is, I just wanted you to see that the prophet and the king and the priest, we've already read about Aaron, they were anointed with oil. Though it doesn't say oil here, we know that's what happened. The reason I held back on, on Saul, and I want us to turn back now to 1 Samuel chapter 10, is I want to point out something that is also very important uh, in this whole understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. That there's, there's precedent for it in the Old Testament, but you have, to, you have to know what you're reading. And what I'm going to read now is uh, a couple of occurrences in the Old Testament where when people were anointed that there was this very unusual uh, vocal phenomenon, I call it, that occurred. The gift of prophecy often accompanied the anointing and the empowering of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't say that when David was anointed, and, and right after it said the Spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. It doesn't say that he prophesied, but you can assume that he did because the New Testament said he was a prophet. He was not only a, a king, he was a prophet. He also acted as a priest from time to time or on occasion. So we can assume that David, like these others, prophesied. It doesn't say that Elijah, it's the reason I read those two first, it doesn't say that Elisha prophesied, but he was a prophet. 
<laughs> so we know he had inspired utterance. And the simple gift of prophecy is just that. It's inspired utterance in one's own language. The simple gift of prophecy does not involve prediction of the future. It's just an inspired utterance that the Spirit brings. And you speak out by the inspiration of the, of the Spirit. Paul said it, it comes to, to edify, exhort, and comfort people. Well, you see an interesting phenomenon, a phenomenon in the Old Testament that there was this vocal uh, thing that happened. 1 Samuel chapter 10, in verse number 1, then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. He's talking about Saul here. Poured it out, poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you? If you drop over then to verse number 5, and we're going to read 5 through, through 13. After that, he's still talking to Saul. He said, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before you, and they shall be prophesying. That's what prophets do. Then, this, now, now Saul wasn't being anointed as a prophet. He was being anointed as a king. But the Holy Spirit was going to come upon him. He said in verse 6, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these, th- when these signs come to you, that you may do as the occasion com- demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. This is where Saul, by the way, got into trouble is because on, uh, you know, he was waiting on Samuel to show up and Samuel, Samuel didn't show up. And so Saul decided to offer the burnt offering himself and he lost the kingdom over it. So it says here that... Uh, So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all the people, when all, excuse me, when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. You can see here that when the Holy Spirit came upon a person in the Old Testament, that there was this thing that happened. They began to speak in inspired utterance. Would, I wish that people would understand that. Go back to Numbers chapter 11. Another example of this, and I mentioned this the other service back, service or two back. Eldad and Medad. Everybody knows Eldad and Medad, right? Numbers chapter 11. Let's start in verse number 16. This is, this is not just a funny story. This is really interesting particularly at the end of it. In verse number 16, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, 
whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them. Now, on this occasion, uh, Moses didn't lay his hands on them or anoint them with oil because God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the spirit that's upon you and put it upon them. And they will, bear, they will bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing. Do I want to read all that? Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it is well with us in for it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loath, loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I am He's talking to the Lord. The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, not not including the children, the women and children. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough food for them? Moses was getting nervous. He was thinking he was going to have to produce this. The Lord said to Moses, has the, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was outside uh, the, the, the camp of Israel. They were, you know, it was separated. It wasn't just right there among where they were was located in the vicinity, but it was in a distinct place. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, And so he gathered the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when this spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. The margin there says... Uh, trying to find it. it says they did not cease. What's, what it simply says, if you, if you study it out in different translations, it says that they prophesied when the Spirit came upon them and then they stopped. That's all it means. Uh, but two of the men, now two of, of those 70 had remained in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And this is very important, what Moses said. Then Moses said to them, are you zealous for my sake? Or you could say jealous. Are you jealous for me? 
Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. So we see again that when the Holy Spirit came upon people to anoint them for a special purpose, it was very common that they would begin to speak in inspired utterance. Really, there's nothing new going on in the New Testament except that the inspired utterance has changed. That's all. But Moses said this. He said, Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. Well, all of the Lord's people are not prophets. That wasn't going to happen. But what Moses was expressing without having full understanding of what would happen in the new covenant, I'm firmly convinced that this desire that he spoke came by the inspiration of the spirit. And what he's saying really is, I'm, I, 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 I long for a time when not just the Spirit would be upon me and these 70, but, but God would put a Spirit upon everybody. He didn't know, perhaps, that he was looking into the future. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Yeah, we read Acts chapter 2 a lot. But there's a lot of context. There's a lot of background to Acts chapter 2. The Old Testament is full of this, of this precedent of the Holy Spirit coming upon everybody who is going to be called into particular service for the Lord. And we all are. We're all called to be witnesses. There's not a greater ministry than being a witness for Christ. The Holy Spirit had to come upon people. And we see, even though every time it isn't recorded, we have reason to expect the same thing happened, that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that they, had, they prophesied. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, hold your place there. Go back to Psalm 133. Go back to Psalm 133. Remember what we read? Behold how how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, or you might say in one accord. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in one accord. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments, It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. Well, this this was fulfilled right here. When they came together in unity and in one accord, the Spirit was poured out upon them. Being in one accord was was tied in in Psalm 133. it It was likened to... It said it's like the precious oil upon the beer. It was only a few people that that had that oil upon them. But everybody could get together in unity. All the brethren could get together in unity. And, and the psalmist said, and this was, this was a psalm of David, he said, being a prophet himself, speaking of the, of the future, he was really prophesying about the future, he said, brethren coming together in unity is, is like being filled with the Spirit. Well, on this day of Pentecost, they were all with one, in, with, with 
They were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. We're told over and over, Jesus foretold this over and over again, that the Spirit will come upon you, that you will be endued with power from on high. He said, you need to be filled with the Spirit so that you can be witnesses for me. Talked about the outpouring of the Spirit. And this is when it happened. This is when Moses' Moses's desire was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Oh, hallelujah. Joel's prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Joel talked about the day when he would pour, God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh. Let's, let's go down to verse number. We're still in the second chapter. Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice, verse, num- verse number 14, said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by Joel the prophet. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Moses longed for it. Joel prophesied it. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. See, in the Old Testament, there were seven gifts of the Spirit. Of the nine we have today, there were seven that we have represented in the Old Testament. The power gifts were there, the the working of miracles, gift of faith, gifts of healings. We see them in operation through different people in the Old Testament. The revelation gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. We see examples of those. But in the vocal gifts, there was just one gift, and that was the gift of prophecy. That's all there was. And so, Moses longed for the day that when the Spirit would be poured out and people would prophesy. Joel predicted the day that the Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh and that men would prophesy. What a, what a, what a valuable, what a, what a, a holy thing for mere men Everybody, not special people, but everybody. It's God's design to to do what he did for a few, to do upon everybody. Pour his spirit out on everybody. Anoint everybody. I mean, if you were anointed by the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament, you were somebody special. You were somebody that people recognized. You were empowered by God. Oh, how the church has failed to see the value and where it comes from, where it's, where it's fa- what its foundation is, how it developed in the Old Testament, how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Oh, glory to God. So they would prophesy. People, and and, and people, would, people who, who were uninformed, they'd say, but now wait a minute, Pastor, they didn't prophesy on the day of Pentecost. They spoke in tongues. They didn't prophesy. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. How do I know? Because Peter stood up by the Holy Ghost and said, this is that. Yeah, but this is tongues and and that was, they didn't, yeah, they did. Because this 
is that. What God did on the day of Pentecost is he took that single gift of prophecy and he, and he split it in two and created two separate gifts out of it. It's still intact. There's still the gift of prophecy, but birthed out of that is an expression of speaking. All of it has to do with divine utterance, supernatural utterance, inspired utterance. But he took, in the church age alone, as a special sign to, to, to uh, take place only in the church age. It only belongs in the church age. It won't be in heaven. Tongues will pass away. But during the church age, this is what Joel prophesied. This is what Moses desired. This is what was spoken before, only it, had a, it has a different manifestation today. It has been split into tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So on the day of Pentecost, when they spoke in tongues, this was the fulfillment of men prophesying because it's divine and inspired utterance. Do you see that? Glory to God. We see the anointing upon Jesus. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to minister. He he was not empowered by his divinity. His divinity, now he was God in the flesh. They didn't know, people didn't know. They had their creator, Yahweh of the Old Testament. They had him walking among them and they didn't realize it. He was God. As a person, as an individual, as a person, Jesus stands in a class all by himself as the son of God. But in terms of ministry, his ministry wasn't in a class by itself. He ministered as a man anointed by the Spirit. You notice that Jesus didn't perform any miracles till he was 30 years old? And we know that because John says that, that the, the water being turned into wine at the, at the marriage feast says this is the first, this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus did. So Jesus was just as much God at 25 as he was 30. Or at 15 as he was at 30. Or three as he was at 30. He was just as much God. But he, the Bible says in Philippians that he emptied himself. He laid aside, like one translation says, he laid aside his power and glory and took on the limitations of man. Oh, glory to God. A man without sin, yes. But a man nonetheless. He had to be anointed just like just like Eldad and Medad had to be anointed. Just like Elisha and Elijah had to be anointed. Just like, now Moses, he was anointed by God. Who's going who's gonna to pour the oil out on Moses? He started this. But God anointed him. None of these people could do what they, what they were called to do without the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Neither can the church. The only difference is God includes everybody. There's a real risk, and I'm sure God knows it. I'm sure God's fully aware that there, I'm sure that, I'm sure that he was aware and is aware that there's a great risk that it can become so commonplace that people don't really give it any importance. Sure, it happens. But we have to be, we have to be spiritual enough. We have to be uh, 
uh, knowledgeable enough in the word and attuned with the spirit enough to, to see its value. It's, it's, it's common and yet it's unique. It's common in the church. It's not common in the world. People in the world unsafe, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them and, and on them and it's quite apparent, isn't it? It's, it's unique in time and history. It's never happened before. It won't be necessary in the future, but it's for today and it's for the church. Oh, glory to God. <clears throat> Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power. If Jesus needed to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, if Jesus needed to be baptized with the Spirit, that's what happened to Jesus. When he went down in the river and was baptized in water, when he come up out of the river, John the Baptist saw the Spirit descending like a dove. He was filled. It says there in a few verses later, being filled with the Spirit. He wasn't filled with the Spirit before. Surely he had the Spirit. <laughs> he, was, he was God in the flesh. Surely he had the Spirit, but he wasn't filled with the Spirit. As a man, he wasn't filled with the Spirit until that day. If he had to be filled with the Spirit, everybody needs to be filled with the Spirit. Our, our church is not unique in uh, believing in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're not. But we're a light nonetheless. Because a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people still don't know. A lot of people are in op- opposition to it, true. But a lot of people are just ignorant. They're just ignorant. There, there are yet a lot of people in the body of Christ who can be filled with the Spirit if they only knew. The thing that happened in the 1960s when the Holy Spirit first began to be poured out among denominational people is these people really hadn't been taught much about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was just a part of a ceremony. <clears throat> it, was, it was more in the evangelical uh, churches and uh, fundamentalist churches that really taught against these things. But outside of that, in most of the, of the older traditional uh, uh, denominations, they didn't really know anything about it. And those people were ready. They just needed somebody to tell them. Praise God. Well, our church is not unique, but we're one of those who've been called to tell them. To live a life in the Spirit. To demonstrate before people the power of God. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I really have a sense that God has yet. I mean, I know in one sense, you say, duh, of course this is true. Of course it's true that God's not finished with us, that we have yet things to accomplish. That's obvious for any church. But our specific calling to be ministers and witnesses of the things which we've seen and the things that he will yet reveal to us. We, we have, 
I don't know about everybody else. I just know about us. We've been called to be ministers and witnesses. And I take that as very unique. I, it's not that I think other people aren't, I'm not concerned about other people. I, anytime God calls me to do something, to me, that's the focus of my life. I mean, I feel very, I feel very uh, especially called to be a pastor. I know there are thousands of pastors that feel like I do, but I, I'm not concerned about that. I, I, I just know that God called me, and I'm aware that I'm called of God. Well, we as a church are called of God. This vision he's given us is something that he's given us specifically. It might not be unique in the sense that nobody else has it. I'm sure others do, but we have it. And I have a sense that, that we have yet to, to really enter into our finest hour. We've yet to see our finest hour in, in being ministers and witnesses of the things which we've seen and the things that we haven't seen yet. You know, when we first started uh, the church, when Pastor Angela and I first and, and our two little boys, you know, we started the church. And I tell you what, they were right there with us. We were in the women's club yesterday, and I was telling a couple of people they didn't know this. That when we first started our church, we started in a farmhouse out in Fort White, out uh, uh, McClintock Road is the road that crosses uh, Bethlehem, Old Bethlehem Road, and there's, Bethle- there's a Tuscanoogie Methodist Church. Well, if you go east on McClintock on that dirt road, leave the pavement, the pavement, uh, I think Bethlehem Road's paved, but you turn east on that dirt rock McClintock, that dirt road, and you go about... Uh, a quarter of a mile or so, and it turns a couple of times, there's a sharp uh, turn to the, to the north, a real sharp turn to the north. And there's a, a gate there, and there's a big oak tree, and there's a gate. There's a farm back there, and that's the Hickson's residence. When we first started our church, that's where we first met. They called, you know the story, they called Raymond. They got in touch with me, and we came and, and uh, found our way to Fort White. We had come a few times as hippies to, to swim in the springs, you know. But uh, uh, so I was familiar with the route. But we went there and we met with them, and we started the church. We didn't intend to start a church, but that's what happened. And uh, that was in the summer of 1980. And uh, shortly thereafter, I don't remember how long, but it wasn't too long after that. They had plans. They had already had plans to renovate their old farmhouse. It was a single story house. They were going to put two another story on it. So they were tearing the roof out, you know. So we had to vacate their house. So we moved into the Pendergrass house, which was just a, a mile or so away. And we had church in their house for, for a few weeks. This was in, this was in the, the uh, I guess in the late summer, early fall, I don't really remember. We weren't in the Pendergrass house very long. And it just, it came into my heart because they were beginning to talk, some people in the church were beginning to talk about buying some land out by Tuscanoogie Methodist, and we'll build a church out there. And I said, no, 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 no. This church is not going to be stuck out in the woods. God has, I didn't know what God's plan was, but I knew better than that. I, would, I didn't even plan to be here. But I said, no, that's not what God's plan is for us. We're not going to be, there was just, if you go out on, on uh, 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 Old Bethlehem Road past uh, the church, there's a, there's a uh, piece of property that the Hicksons uh, own, still own, and, and John Hickson was going to donate that to us, you know, as a, as a church. And, and Bill, I said, no, we're not doing that. We're, and I thought, really, we better get ourselves in town. 
before these country folks take over and, you know, keep us locked out and, in, you know, without any light for the rest of our lives, you know. So uh, I decided we we're moving in, into town. So we moved out of, the, out of the Pendergrass house and we moved into the woman's club. And this was in the winter of 1980, late 1980, over into, if Angela was here, she could tell you the actual months. But it was, it was winter time. And we moved into the old, into the uh, New Century uh, Woman's Club in High Springs. <coughs> it wasn't as nice as it is now. It wasn't terrible. Don't misunderstand me. It wasn't terrible. It just, it, it needed some work. And it had no heating or air. It did have heating, but back close to, close to the front doors as you come in over on the left, I don't remember if it was on the same wall as the doors. It might have been as you turn right on that, on the side wall, but it was back in the back. There was one of these gas heaters that was about this long, about set off, about this tall off the floor. And you know, those, those, what do you call that? Radiator heater. And it was propane and we would go and it was free. That year it was freezing. That was the year that uh, uh, your cousins and all came from, uh, from Georgia. Remember they came to our house on Thanksgiving and it froze. I don't remember if you remember, well, you were a little guy. But uh, it, was, it was cold that year. And we were in that woman's club and we turned that heater on and it just didn't do nothing. And I remember preaching and, and the vapor. I'd see the vapor coming out of my mouth when I'm teaching the Word of God. And the people out there, they're praise the Lord, the vapor's coming out of their mouth. I mean, we had the glory, you know. <laughs> and we stayed there into the summer months and it got hot. And there was no air conditioning and the windows did not open. We weren't really excited, exciting about, excited about opening the door either because we were the, that weird church. And we really didn't want people walking down the sidewalk and just sticking their head in the door. And so it was hot. And uh, we stayed there until September of 81 when we moved into the old, what used to be the first Baptist church where we were for so many years. We moved into that September of 81. And so all through the summer, we were in the woman's club and it was hot. I remember so many times, I vividly remember preaching and sweat running down the middle of my back, all the way down my back. I'd, I'd have to go home, take my, my sport coat off and hang it up, you know, to air out. And Oh, it was miserable. But, you know, that's, that's where we started. And we knew about faith. We knew about the authority of the believer. We knew about who we are in Christ. And we preached that. I taught that. And, and that's what we founded our church on. But, you know, Brother Hagen was a man of the Spirit. He wasn't just a man of the Word. He was a man of the Spirit. And I was in so many meetings of his where he would just do, I mean, they seemed to me strange things. And the power of God would come on him. I saw him one time at Ramah dance backward without looking, dance up those, those tall steps at Ramah, the old, the, the old uh, uh, RMA, R, what's it called now? It's Rooker Memorial now. He danced backward up those steps, just like, I mean, danced in the Holy Ghost, danced in the Spirit and danced up those steps. Wow. And, and it, he would be preaching and, and he'd see the glory come in and, and we'd all look around. We didn't see the glory, but he saw it, you know. And, and he would get lost in the Spirit during his teaching. Now, not during Bible school. This never happened during Bible school, during class. But when he held special seminars during the year and where he would invite the public in and the night services. I mean, some amazing things would happen in the spirit. He would get called away in the spirit and, uh, and tell us things. And, and uh, he, uh, 
you know, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and, and, uh, and just unusual things, demonstrations of the Spirit. You know what? We were just, we were just happy to watch him. Now, didn't that go, boy, Brother Hagin was in the Spirit tonight. And that's about the only interest we had in it was we wanted to get back in the next meeting and see what the Holy Ghost did through Brother Hagin again. And in the, in the uh, 1990s, uh, uh, in, the, in the mid-90s, he began to teach on the demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. And he began to teach us that this isn't just for Brother Hagin. We're supposed to have demonstrate. And he began to teach on the demonstrations of the Spirit. Now, he had taught on the gifts of the Spirit, but he had never taught on demonstrations of the Spirit. He had them. He just didn't teach about it. And like I said, we were just perfectly happy to watch him demonstrate. You go for it, Brother Hagin. Glory to God. But then... We, we, those were some things that we had not yet seen. And so we learned about those things. Church, we cannot let those things drift away. We cannot drift away ourselves from those things. God established us to be ministers and witnesses of everything we have seen. And, and we've seen more. And there's more yet to see. I am thoroughly convinced that before, simply, if for nothing else, it's just logical that before Jesus returns, the, the, the move of God, God never goes out of anywhere with a whimper. He never goes out having been stepped down and diminished. God always goes out on, he always wraps up a program his own way in glory. I believe the church age will be wrapped up in glory. It'll be consummated in glory. And it's going to require a a, a people who know that and who are bold enough to stand up and stand for it. And let, let, let anybody who wants to criticize and mock, let them criticize and mock. It's not that we're not interested in people, but there are mocker, mockers and they will mock and you can't do anything about it. I'm not going to hold back for fear of some ungodly Christian legalist who doesn't know the Holy Ghost, for fear of offending them, let them be offended. Opposition only advertises the power of God. And I'm not just up here advocating opposition, but I'm saying we don't need to be concerned Yes, we need to obey the scriptures, but we need to be biblical about it and not let people who don't know the, the scriptures and excuse me and don't know the spirit tell us what it means to be led by the spirit. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. I really thought I'd go about 30 minutes. I went a little longer than that. That's all right. Praise God. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I thirst for the fullness of the Spirit. And I'm not going to live without it. I'm just not. I'm just not going to live without it. And I need everybody in this church to have that same mind, that same heart. Like I said, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of different church models today. There's a lot of popular things going on. And there's so much hype. So much hype. We are not to build a church on hype, putting on something. We want the power of God in demonstration. 
and be humble enough to God to let him use us. Hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Father, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. We hunger and thirst for all that you have. And we declare, Lord, that we're just not willing to live without it. We are not going to live without it. We will not be denied. We will not be denied. And we know that you're not denying us. But the enemy tries to come in and bring distractions and love and interest and care for other things entering in. Choke out what you want to do. The enemy's always trying to work against us. We're not willing to go down that road. We will not embrace modernism. We will not embrace nice Christianity that's devoid of power. We will not have a form of godliness without the power. We will not, Father. Glory to God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, move among us. Move among us any way you please. Hallelujah. Now let me add this. Take, just stop praying for a minute. Just add this. I'm convinced that people, though people have seen a lot of things, I believe there's things God wants to do that, that few people have seen maybe. They saw some things in the book of Acts and in the, in the first generation. Every revival, every legitimate revival that has, has shaped the church, God has done something unusual, something powerful, something that wasn't being done. He's demonstrated his spirit and his power in some most unusual ways. We ought to have all of that. Now, people, people do get in the flesh. They have in all of these moods. We have, we have the account of Ananias Sapphira right in the, the middle of the biggest revival that's ever hit the planet. We had Ananias and Sapphira acting like idiots, getting in the flesh. So people will always get in the flesh. And we, we, can, we can turn those things the right way. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of people making a mistake and, you know, I just, I want people to act on the Spirit. I want you to move with the Spirit. Just move with the Holy Spirit. If you sense the Holy Spirit moving on, yield to it. And there's order in the service. You know, you don't interrupt somebody, but when there's an opportunity and it's time, and you know when that happens, yield to the Spirit. We're, we're, nobody's judging anybody. We want what, if, if, you, if you're too judgmental, you'll never have a move of God. You'll never have a move of God. Glory to God. So what I started to say is, you know, there have been a lot of people have seen a lot of things, but I believe in these last days, we should see everything that's ever been seen. And there may be some things that few people have seen. Are we big enough? (laughs) I should say, are we courageous enough? Are we bold enough? Well, let's start by being hungry enough. Amen. God will help us with the boldness 
But we got to start with being hungry. Amen? Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Glory to God. We're not willing. We refuse to allow the enemy to keep us out of our inheritance. We will dig again the wells of our forefathers. We will again see the flow of the Spirit in all of its mighty power, in all of the glory of the Lord, all of the glory of God. Hallelujah. We'll see the evidence of it in manifestation. The effect of it and the glory itself will be seen, but absolutely its effect will be seen. Glory to God. Lord, we're a spirit-filled people. Once you taste the move of the Spirit, nothing else in this life satisfies. No natural thing satisfies. Nothing takes its place. And we've been, the world would say, we've been ruined. (laughs) We can't live the Christian life without the power of God. We just can't. We just can't. We won't. So, Father, we consecrate ourselves, dedicate ourselves to be vessels that respond, that you can use any way you want, any way you want to to use us. Move, Holy Spirit, move. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.